Hello there, welcome to the Matthias Barker podcast. My name is Matthias and I'm a psychotherapist in Spokane, Washington. And this is a podcast about mental health and moving towards what's meaningful, even despite hardship. And I'm super excited to share this episode with you. This is, you know, I, I first ran into Paul Bloom's book Against Empathy, um, maybe a year after my work at Lutheran Community Services, which was an agency that I specialized doing work with sexual maladaptive behavior. And for those of you who might not know that part of my story, I used to work um, almost exclusively with kids who maybe sexually assaulted or had relations with other kids that were really unhealthy and kind of just worked for recovery with, with kids who um, particularly were the ones aggressing other children. And so I received training in that area and spent like a whole year just like learning and, and scouring the research. And what I found in that research that was really interesting was that empathy training wasn't really at the top of the list for treatment for maladaptive sexual behavior. And I thought that was a bit strange. And I remember asking my supervisor, like, why, why don't we do you know, anything with empathy training? It seems like if you taught kids what it was like to be in those, you know, the other kid's shoes, then they would feel less, I don't know, less driven to act aggressively towards them. And what they found in the research is that that wasn't really the case because just because you have the capacity to understand where the other person's coming from or what it's like to be the other person doesn't mean you have altruistic intentions with that information. Like you can just as easily use that heightened awareness, that heightened empathy to take advantage of somebody else or to use somebody else or to... um to create, a, to create an environment where you can manipulate that for your own ends. And so it wasn't just enough to show, you know, the, the child what it was like to be the other kid who was suffering. It was, there, there needs to be something more. There needs to be a motivational structure that was uh, maybe something more akin to compassion. And so that's, that's really what Paul Bloom's book was about. It's like empathy isn't enough. We need something more than just empathy. We need rational compassion. This is kind of a provocative title, so I wanna I wanna lay some definitions before we start rolling. Now, empathy. Let's talk about empathy as feeling what you think someone else is feeling, and empathy is this driving motivator that we we think about it most often in empathizing with people's pain. And when that empathy is matched with kindness and compassion, it's something that motivates us to alleviate that pain, to alleviate pain that um, feels like our own. And in that sense, it's kind of been viewed as our culture is kind of this cure-all that if only we could relate to people's pain with kindness and feel it as if it was our own pain, then we would be more compassionate, moral, kind people. But there's some problems with that. There's some, there's some uh, holes within empathy that, that people can fall into that actually neutralizes its good effect at all. And, and I kind of want to talk about that it's because it's important that if we're going to try to alleviate someone's pain, that we don't make their pain worse. And unfortunately, empathy has some pitfalls that can sometimes make the pain worse. And I just want to talk about that because empathy, maybe this is a good thing to focus on first, is that empathy is prejudiced. It focuses in on the things that are relatable, focuses in on things that we're familiar with, um, people that we don't find to be scary or dangerous, uh, you know, or you know, people or animals that we find that, that aren't threatening. It's, it focuses in on something that we have a particular kind of connection to and isn't really extended fairly. It's not extended across the spectrum of suffering. It's extended to things that are familiar and that um, we have a connection to. So I'll, I'll give you an example right off the front. So um, this, this bomb that went, that went off in Beirut or explosion that went off in Beirut, horrible. Like I, I as you know, many of you have, have just been mourning with the families that have lost loved ones and 
the injuries that have, you know, like I saw those videos, just uh, watching the, just the buildings just evaporate in front of the explosion. And I think all of us were so moved and there's been donations that have been flooding in and organizations that have been offering relief to the families in that area. And, and it's absolutely devastating. I wonder though, and this isn't to minimize anything that happened. Like I said, I'm, I'm feeling this with you, but like, I wonder if there wasn't videos and it was just a news story. If it would have gotten the same publicity on social media, if we would all be feeling this as closely. Because the reality is like, there's been bombs going off in Iraq all summer. And I haven't seen people sharing. I haven't seen um, huge moves on social media of people donating to the families of people that are suffering from the bombs in Iraq. This isn't to mention the, um, well, here, I'll say this. We've been, we've been have as a country, we've been really pressing for uh, police reform and for justice to be a higher value in our society. And I'm absolutely there, 100%. Um, and this isn't to minimize any of that because I'm 100% there. There are millions of people being rounded up into concentration, concentration camps in China right now. Millions. Most of them minorities. Most of them Muslims and, and, and uh, children being ripped from their families. And there's been satellite footage of people being blindfolded, led into train cars, like it's something out of the Holocaust. But we relate more to the injustice on our home soil. There's riots in the streets to reform, rightly so, the injustice that's been done in our own neighborhood. But not any riots in the streets for China. Not any, um, not any riots asking for the US to intervene and to stop the huge injustice against humanity that's been happening there. And that's not to mention what's been happening in North Korea or what's happening across the world. There's, there's injustice that is spread out that is that we can't tangibly latch onto without a particular kind of emotional connection, a relatable connection. And I'm not, um, I'm not like, you know, accusing anybody here of anything wrong. I'm just pointing out the reality that we relate to and empathize, you know, not in proportion to the actual pain that's at large in the world, but to what we most relate to and to what we most find to be personal. And that's a good thing to keep in mind. And so the, the, the point maybe that I'm making is that empathy can't be the only driving factor when we think about moral action, when we think about how do we alleviate pain in the world, we can't solely rely on empathy. And here's another part about empathy, another pitfall with empathy is that it focuses on the present moment and doesn't, doesn't necessarily have a vision for how things are gonna cascade out into the future because we can't empathize with the future. We can't have an emotional connection with the future. We, we, uh, we only have an emotional connection for what's happening right now. Like, I remember watching an episode of Anthony Bourdain on one of his many shows of traveling around the world and trying different food. And I can't remember uh, where he was. I think it was Cuba or um, somewhere in South America. But um, he was standing in line for just kind of this feeding line that there was like this big bowl of like curry or something. And he was excited to try it. But then he noticed there was a lot of children outside just kind of watching and on looking, you know, around the line. And that were hungry, that were poor. 
And so he wanted to, so he bought his food and he gave his food to, um, you know, one of the boys. But then he noticed that a lot of other boys started kind of crowding around and rushing him and it almost looked like there was going to be some violence. And, and so he's like, okay, I'll pay for the whole food line. And so what he did is he just kind of bought out that food stand for the day and gave food to the whole community. Like, you know, A plus, right? Great. Except people started flooding to that food cart and trying to cut in line. Violence broke out in that community trying to fight over the finite, you know, dishes that could be served out of that food line. And him and his camera crew were just looking around like, oh crap, what did we do? And they left feeling kind of foolish and feeling kind of naive. And he was talking about it in the, in the show, which I respected. He was just like, yeah, I made a blunder there. I didn't, I didn't think about the long-term effects. I didn't think about how that would spread out and the whole system of how everything's working. I didn't think that would end in violence. You know, and you could think, like, well, if there was just enough food for the entire community, then there wouldn't have been violence, right? But, but I talked about that this last week. You can, you can see I did a post on it. But So, like, Americans were really moved by the poverty that was happening in Haiti, right? This was, this was several years ago under Bill Clinton. And they wanted to alleviate the starvation that was happening. So they sent pallets and pallets of rice, right? Out of empathy for the suffering that was happening there. They sent tons of rice and aid to Haiti, but... They didn't pay attention to Haiti's number one export, rice. And so they, um, the rice farmers, the workers, the people who worked on the farms all went out of business and droves, tens of thousands of people started piling into just kind of the main city and building these concrete jungles on the outskirts of the city because there wasn't enough places to house everybody to work in the factories. And, and so they, they built kind of these houses on top of each other. They didn't really build them up to code. And then when the earthquake hit, 200,000 people died. How much of that was because of American empathy wanting to help, but not looking at the larger system that particular suffering and action is embedded into. And if we don't, if we don't pay attention to the kinds of ways that we're trying to help, we might end up creating more suffering. We might end up creating greater suffering. And it's not obvious that just following the heart, following that warm feeling in our heart that we're doing something good actually helps. Now, does that mean empathy's bad? Does that mean like we shouldn't empathize? Like, no, it's just that empathy has to be undergirded by reason, has to be undergirded by wisdom. You know, the, the terminology that uh, Paul Bloom, he's a big voice in this, he's his reasonable compassion. I, I like the term wise compassion, but you, you can kind of get the picture. It's like there has to be forethought and homework done in how we alleviate the suffering of other people. There has to be um, not just heart, but there has to be thought. Because if we don't pay attention to the future consequences, how this action is embedded within a larger system, then people could die. It's not obvious that just one momentary act of kindness can actually make things better. We have to think through these things. And the pitfalls of empathy as just a, an emotion that stands out above the rest can really, you know, fall apart. So we need something more. We need wise and reasonable compassion. And so... Maybe a practical outworking of this might be to, to do some homework on the things that really reach out to you. Because the reality is that empathy is, is good in the sense that it, that it uh, pulls your heart towards things that 
are relatable and that are around you and the things that you actually maybe have like a reasonable chance of doing some good with because it's not obvious that you know how to alleviate the pain of something that you can't relate to or that's totally outside of your purview. So maybe you're not the best person to um, to solve the issue in China right now because maybe you live in the United States. Maybe you uh, you aren't in the political sphere. You're not in the military. You're not. That isn't your world is to reasonably make huge efforts there. Um, and we feel a sense of guilt with that because if we feel empathy and then we don't do something, we feel like that's dishonest or that's immoral, but, but, but it's not. We, we have to pick a few things, maybe even just one thing, and actually do the homework to understand how to help, how to help in a real way. So maybe for you that is understanding the injustices that have been at large within our you know, our justice system and our policing system, understanding what that means so that you can vote and that you can advocate and that you can show up at, you know, town halls and that you can create and vote and, you know, educate to raise awareness of what we need to be doing. What we need to be doing to create a more um, equal and just society. And that might take time. You know, it's it's easy to just throw up a tag on Instagram, just be like, defund the police. But that that's an that's that's a that's an emotional like empathetic draw to be like I'm tired of the suffering that I'm seeing in the city and I'm tired of the brutality in it and something needs to change and and this feels right but the right solution is often very complicated and when we can look we can look at how different ways that you know systems of justice and policing have been executed in various countries across time. You can, you can do your homework on that. Like a good place to start might be in reading the, um, the book, uh, how nations fail. It's just talking about corruption and how like corruption and, um, power can really just create, you know, cascading injustice throughout a society. And ultimately is like at the root cause of poverty is corruption and injustice. And, uh, so that might be a good place to start. Uh, maybe for you, it's it's going to be um, really understanding what it looks like to you know for the lived experience of someone with autism, and you might really decide like I want to make it part of my life's work to not just understand but create a world and to contribute to a world where people um, with autism can flourish and like their their strengths can be contributing into society without those boundaries and without um, stigma and without um, unnecessary and. Uh, things that just cause suffering for people and and I, and I want to be a part of and contribute to making the world a better place for people who live with autism maybe for you it's um trying to just understand the the effects of your family and the suffering that's just been happening in your own nuclear family and doing the homework and thinking critically about how is what I do now going to impact and move into the future and how is everything going to be working together in, in a sense of creating something flourishing, creating something good in the world. So those are my thoughts. Those are my thoughts. Being able to undergird empathy with reasonable or wise compassion, something that is set on alleviating the suffering in a way that takes into mind all the context and all the little factors around it so that you don't create more suffering at the end of it. Okay. Have a great week. I'll talk to you next time. Thank <laughs> you.